Alice Living, best-selling author, personal trainer, and host of Give Me Strength, where we discuss the positives of living a stronger life physically and mentally with the hope to inspire you to do the same. Welcome to Give Me Strength. My guest today is Kat Methan, who describes herself as a yoga teacher, a sound healer, a breathwork coach, a free movement facilitator, retreat host, and founder of The Soul Sanctuary, which is an online platform and app for people to deepen their connection to mind, body, and soul. Now, Kat and I have known each other for a long time, and I've been lucky enough to watch her journey of growth and success, and I'm so happy to have you here today, Kat. Welcome to Give Me Strength. How are you? Oh my gosh, thank you so much. By the way, when you were reading my job titles, I was like, wow, she's got a lot of jobs. (laughs) You've done a lot. And also just so many amazing new things that you've added since obviously when I first met you, you were more yoga and also a little bit gymnastics and stuff as well. Everything's really evolved massively. But yeah, I am so grateful to be here. I was when you asked me, I was so excited because we haven't we haven't had like a catch up for a little while and why not do it out to the big wide world well exactly exactly and i think that um one of the places that i wanted to start today was actually probably it might have even been the last time that i saw you which was at your workshop in the middle of, i remember coming to somewhere in london that was like very opposite end to me yeah, And I wanted to explain to people this experience because I thought that it was a really nice place to start in terms of um, you being so generous with your energy and your spirit and really being someone that helped me to find a different side of myself. So I, full disclosure, this was pre-COVID, I think, came along to Kat's workshop and was expecting a day of like yoga and maybe some like green juice and snacks and I walked into the room and there was a, a massive group of women. It was it was actually an amazing day. The first thing that Kat got us to do was she was like, okay, we'll do a little bit of like sitting in a circle. And like, I think we started doing a little bit of yoga. But then basically she was like, right, everyone just find a space on the floor. I'm just going to put the music on. I just want you to dance. She want you to dance and feel really free and not care what anyone else is doing around you. And I literally just froze and was like, oh my God, this is so uncomfortable. Bearing in mind, I come from a dance background as well, where we have been told to improv and stuff. To me, it was like the most uncomfortable thing. And I wanted to start by asking you about how you got into a place where you really help women to just like free themselves. Like I remember leaving that day and just thinking, oh my God, I feel like a weight has been lifted off me and that I've somehow kind of shed this cage that I find myself in sometimes that I'm so constrained. That obviously the listeners can't see me, but like my mouth hurts from smiling so much when you were saying that because I actually remember that so clearly. And I remember it clearly for a few reasons because obviously it was the first workshop in London that I'd done that was like on a bigger scale. My mum also came to it. Um, Yeah, which was so lovely. And I remember you, Alice, so clearly. The reason why is because you started that free movement like this graceful but yet timid little bird. And by the end of it, I like swirled around and I just saw you like rolling on the floor, leg in the air, arm in the air. And I was like, she's there. She's, She's there. And it was And that's what I, I don't know, I just love it. I think for me, so the free movement start of like the journey actually happened when I was running retreats. And for me personally, it's how I ground, it's how I feel energized, it's how I get that sense of liberation and freedom. And I would go up onto the rooftop 
of where I was facilitating the retreats and I'd put on some music and I would just dance. And the guests asked me if they could join me. And I was like, oh, okay, yeah, sure. But hadn't at that point, I'd only, I had like done my own ecstatic dance. I'd done like five rhythms and things like that. But I hadn't facilitated because it was such a personal journey for me. It was such like an empowering moment for me to be in my own spirit and my own body. But then just, it was like this click of magic happened because when I was in my my journey and my body doing it, but I could witness others too, it was, it was like next level. It was like this feeling of this rush of pure, just like oxytocin, endorphin, everything just rushing to the surface. You know, I would see people literally stuck standing unable to move literally you know I have people with their arms crossed you know just looking at the ground swaying really angry that they were there and then by the end of the retreat there would just be this beautiful kind of shift of people like you experienced in what was I mean we probably did free movement then for like 20 minutes yet when I'm with people on a retreat journey it's like five days and they and we go we do so many other things as well that put people in the most uncomfortable positions like you said where you're like you know for you as well you're like you've been a performer you've been a performer for such a huge part of your life yet it it felt so different right because it wasn't your job it wasn't rehearsed it was like hey move with how you feel And it doesn't even need to be a dance. And I think sometimes it's harder for the people that have dance backgrounds because they're so judgmental on themselves and a technique. And I'm the same. I've come from a gymnastics and dance background. And I, it used to be like, but you know, when my shoulders rolled back there and when my toes pointed there and did I look strong yet graceful? And I just let go of that. And I just want people to feel, I guess I would describe it as a beautiful mess. (laughs) <laughs> yeah it's probably that, like yes so accurate and and just to dig into that a little bit I think that um you know like I, I referenced at the start about kind of the I thought the day was very much like a yoga day and with yoga as much as it can be very free it's also relatively constrained you know yeah. there's certain postures that you move through and it's very bound by structures I guess but with the free movement stuff, it's just like the complete antithesis. And when you said there about someone standing with their feet, you know, stuck to the ground, their arms crossed, like I can imagine that's probably what I was like, because it, it was so out of my comfort zone. And I guess the reason why I wanted to start by talking about this is because I think that these are the things and, and this whole podcast has kind of evolved over the last few years in terms of just getting those li- little nuggets of things that can make us good about ourselves that aren't the food that we eat, the exercise we do. And I think the free movement stuff really has such a, a place. And I wondered if you could maybe share, you know, how how you got into helping people, I guess, tap into that side of themselves. So say someone isn't able to come to a retreat. They can't, um, you know, come and join a big room of people where it might feel a bit less scary. They're at home on their own, but they're like, I need something that's just freeing and let me lets me just go. How does someone start that process? So... For sure. This is a brilliant question and one that I love to answer. So the first thing to remember is that a lot of us, um, especially for the women listening, a lot of us do a level of free movement without even realizing it. Maybe you're cooking and you've got some music on and you're kind of just shimmying around the kitchen. So all free movement is, is a more consciously aware version of that. 
And what we're trying to do is I'm trying to ask people to move with what the feeling is. So if the feeling is like, I'm really annoyed that she's asked me to do this, allow the movement to be like a stamping of the feet. Allow the movement to actually be a reflection and an embodiment of whatever the feeling is. But obviously, when we're kind of newer to the journey, it's a little bit like, what on earth is she talking about? How do I embody the feeling? How do I move the feeling? So just to start with, I would, it's kind of easier to start with obviously songs you know, but the thing with songs you know is that a lot of the time you're less in your body and in your uh, in your energy because you're more connected to like, yeah, this is a tune. And you're kind of in the lyrics and things like that. And there's nothing wrong with that at all. A lot of my free movement sometimes is dancing to like some songs that I love. But what I would recommend is put on, like maybe just go on to whatever music streaming site you use, type in something like, I don't know, like shamanic drumming or um, something that's got, or maybe even a little bit of kind of uh, Ibiza chill kind of thing. Like something that's got like a really nice bass beat, um, something that's got a real sense of kind of maybe grounding to it. And all you start with is a bit of shaking. So you shake the hands, and you start to breathe and the breath maybe gets a little bit stronger. And sometimes when we've got stuck energy, it gets stuck really a lot in the chest and in the throat, especially when we're we're in a place of misalignment with our truth, because that's obviously where we're speaking from. So when all of that energy is stuck, it can be really nice to and just really open the mouth, let it out. Along with the shaking, you can do tapping as well. So tapping is like an ancient Chinese ritual. So we literally just get one of the, like a fist of the hand and tap all the way over the body. You can kind of do that Tarzan tap on the chest and you can maybe uh, let it out a little bit. And that's how you would start. See how that feels. Take a moment. I always in between. So some ecstatic dance would run all the way through. So some of them run like DJ sets and it's just constant music. I like to have in between each song this moment to ground and this moment to pause. And it's just a time where you just close your eyes, you roll your shoulders back, you take a breath and you're like, okay, I'm here. I'm still here. I'm okay. No one's judged me. No one's laughed at me. I can do this. And then you go back into it and maybe your feelings shifted. Maybe now, rather than being a little bit angry, you're curious. And then the next song, maybe rather than being curious, you're like elated or maybe you feel sensual. I think as women, we've kind of, you know, been overshadowed so much and made to feel, you know, not shine our light. And I know you speak so much for women and, you know, being, allowing ourselves to be in our true female form without feeling that we have to be answering to a man and what they kind of think of how we should look and how we answer to people. And I think that we have along the way lost our power in saying, no, I can't, I can dance and I can touch my own skin. That doesn't mean I'm being sexual for any, for anyone. That's me being sensual for myself. Why can't I run my hands down my neck? Why can't I place my hands on my womb, on my thighs? We've lost this like connection to actually our physical being. And we really need to regain that because that's one of the ways that we're going to stand in our power even more. 
And I think that there's something about, and I used the word before, us being just so constrained, you know, we're so, we're made to be so small as humans now, I think, like we, our lives are very structured. I'm, I'm talking obviously massively generalized here, but but for most people, you know, we get up, we maybe go and do some exercise, we go to work, we sit at a desk, we come home, like life is busy and it's relentless. And I think that where I see this really fitting in is this ability to just completely let go. And when I think about it, like Paddy's a real, he loves to go raving. And I see that as his way, you know, he works in the city, he's got an, a, 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 a tough sort of, not, it's not even a nine to five because he leaves at six in the morning and comes back at 7.30 at nine. Nine to five does not exist. But for him, like to go to listen to a DJ that he loves and just to let loose with his friends, that's his thing. When I thought about the way that I let loose, I'm like, hmm, I'm not really into that. But I definitely feel that there's moments where I can just feel that my body is so tense. There's so much kind of um, internal constraints I guess that dance and just allowing yourself to completely let go is so powerful where yoga and maybe meditation and mindfulness don't quite sit as the right thing for you and I think that the number one thing that you said that I really think is important is to lose the kind of shame and embarrassment element of it I know because having come to your workshop the first thing that I felt was holy moly I literally want the ground to swallow me up this is mortifying Jesus. But actually, like when when you're when you're all doing something and everyone else around you is actually really leaning into it and you're like, oh, okay, what's wrong with me then? Why can't I do that? That really was a big, big moment for me to be like, why am I so embarrassed about like just moving my body? And what we have to remember is if that we're feeling that way, there's probably a majority, if we're honest, that are also feeling that way. And this is one of the cues I always give on the day on the first day that I do this with people. And I say to them, if you're worried about yourself right now, which they are, think that everybody else is more concerned about themselves. They don't care about what you're doing. They haven't got time to be worried about how silly you're moving. They're more concerned with themselves. And I think that kind of allows people to be like, oh, yeah. And then the other thing that I do always cue if people are in a group setting is for the people that feel that little bit more comfortable, I really ask them to show up and shine because by someone stepping into their power, we need to learn as women that that's not them taking up all of your space. That's them inspiring you, you know? And I think, unfortunately, we've got stuck in this kind of world of comparison and this world where we're judging others. I mean, you and I kind of, you know, we grew up in a similar time. And I don't know about you, but when I was in school, it was like, oh, she's showing off. Oh, she loves herself. And I really hope that we're shifting into a new paradigm of, yeah, she loves herself. And yeah, she's showing off because wouldn't that be amazing if we could celebrate that in each other and be inspired by it rather than feeling threatened by it. And um, I remember I went to an event years and years ago, one of the first um, events I did through the kind of blogging world and everything. And the woman facilitating, she did some free movement. And I noticed, I noticed this thought pattern of like, oh, she loves herself. And I really checked myself. And it has been ever since then, I think about it, randomly comes to my mind because she was such an inspiration for me. I'm like, I didn't show up for myself truly and honestly in that class because I was so threatened by her where actually I could have really felt into the inspiration and I could have been more into myself, but actually she massively inspired my onwards journey because I was able to be aware of it and I was like okay I see you 
So yeah. But I think there's so much in the threat that we feel from other people is often the internal narrative that we also feel in ourselves. So, you know, like it feeling threatened by other women and judging other women is often because we judge ourselves the hardest. So I know in, you know, my own completely in my own like kind of journey of therapy and all that sort of stuff, like I have definitely in the past been someone who has massively judged people and I think that I've almost grown up in an environment where it was very normalized around me to you know sit outside a cafe be like oh look at her look at her look at what they're wearing you know it's almost like inbuilt within me and I've had to unlearn so much of that and I now can really challenge those thoughts you know when I think something when a thought pops into my head and goes oh god she's getting a bit like big for her boots or whatever you know whatever it is not that that comes in as much Rather than listen to that thought and 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 accept it as fact, challenge it. Why are you why are you so threatened by her? What's she What's she bringing up for you? And to be compassionate with yourself for the fact that you are only human, and that those thoughts in the world that we live in are going to come in. They yeah, I mean, it's amazing that you know you're in a position where obviously you've stripped back so much that you can kind of catch them, and they happen so much less. Same for me through such like a deep therapy journey, but. There's also days where maybe it takes me, maybe it takes me 20 minutes to realize that the thoughts come in. And I'm compassionate with that. I'm compassionate because I know that I'm just another person doing the best that I can, taking it day by day. And we have, we have to lean into that. Otherwise we kind of start beating ourselves up. But I just love what you said there about like, you know, what is this, what's this kind of saying about me and not in a, you're a bad person, you've done a bad thing in a place of love, a place of love, like give that inner child a hug and be like, where were you not met in your younger years? Where were you not receiving in your younger years, in your con- the years of your conditioning, where you feel that you need to project this and just come to it with a massive hug? Oh God, I wish I could give so many people a hug right now <laughs> in terms of just be compassionate with yourself. I think that I wanted to move on. And I think a lot of this is is really surrounding a wider conversation around feeling disconnected from ourselves. And I think that, you know, if I were to say a number one theme that maybe ran through my own journey of working with clients, for example, a lot of the time there would be the objective, I need to look a certain way, I need to do this, this and this. And, and if I get to this point, I'll feel better. But there was actually a whole disconnect between emotion, mental well-being, inner voice, inner self, self-image, all that sort of stuff. And I think that one of the things that you describe yourself as being is someone who really helps people to deepen that connection with both mind, body, and soul. And I wanted to ask you beyond the free movement stuff, like starting that journey must feel really hard. Firstly, it's incredibly vast to say, I want to get to know myself better. Well, how? How do you even start? I'd love to know, you know, maybe from a personal perspective to begin with, how you deepen that connection with who am I? What do I stand for? What do I want out of my life? All those big questions. For sure. I think that the first and probably most key thing that I would answer that with is that it changes and it's okay that it changes and it's okay that you are evolving. And I think that, you know, you've probably been through this with all of your therapy. You're like, oh my God, I know myself now. And then the week later, you're like, huh, it all changed. <laughs> and you're like damn it I would thought I had every box picked and I think firstly just knowing that a journey of knowing yourself is a forever journey and it doesn't need and that sounds like oh my gosh I'm going to be working on this forever but it, I think that we have to 
whilst being on this kind of journey of self-discovery, and this is something that I've probably been working on more over the last two years, a lot of people, when they first start delving in, they can get almost too deep to the point that you're analyzing every single little part of your life and you've lost the sense of presence and you've lost the sense of joy, even though you're reading every self-help book that says, be present, be present, surrender, surrender. You're then trying to pick it all apart and, and you've forgotten how to kind of have the fun. I think that when people are starting, obviously there are certain things that come with a lot of privilege, being able to have therapy, things like that. Like, yes, they are great ways to unpick and to look at trauma and to look at wounds, going to healers, even, you know, come going to yoga. Yoga has become something that is a very privileged place. And there's a lot of spaces that people don't feel comfortable um, and, and it shouldn't be that way. And I, I hope that that will shift and that will change. But that is how it is right now. So there are some very kind of I, get not, I don't want to call them basic because I would actually probably argue they're the hardest things, but things that you can do for yourself at home. The first one would be journaling. Um, as some people find that hard, there are so many different ways of journaling. And I think that some people will think, oh no, I can't journal. I'm not a pen to paper kind of person. But there's different ways. You can do things like morning pages where it's a pure just brain dump of anything and everything in your mind. And you write like, an A4 page and it is it can literally be I'm so annoyed that I put the red sock in with the whitewashing last night I'm angry about that <laughs> it can literally be anything or the re the kind of thinking behind um morning pages is that it's to get everything out so that then you can start the day with a bit more clarity there's two cues that I kind of tend to give um myself as like a real base start point and that is how do I feel physically how do I feel emotionally? And that can just be one word. And then if I feel called to, I can be like, now, is there a connection between those two things? Is the physical tightness in my chest because of the sadness I feel around X, Y, Z? And then I sort of start to unpick it. And journaling isn't about finding the solution. At least it's not for me. It's about having a place just to release and to kind of get things out of your kind of head, I guess. And also sometimes when we're writing and we're seeing our writing, we're able to look at it with actually a different perspective. So I think journaling can be so helpful. I mean, there's so many resources in apps and online now. On Soul Sanctuary, we share lots of journaling prompts. So there's so many different resources out there where people can find a way that's quite good for them. Um, and then the other one is some form of, I don't want to say meditation because I think meditation sounds very strict and it sounds like you have to be sat so I'm going to say mindfulness and that for some people that is like a long walk for some people it might just be you know going for a swim in the sea um, for others that might be sat with some breathing with some breath work and it does require a certain level of um I would say motivation right you have to want to get to know yourself you have to put in the time and which is why a lot of the time things like if you are in a, a position where you can do therapy and you can go to classes and you can go to workshops and you can go to healers, sometimes it's easier in a way because you're held accountable by another person. When you feel like it's you and you're at home, but if I would always say if you've got somebody that is really close to you in your life to open up to them about the journey and not from a place of needing their support and you can actually word it in a way that is like that you can say to someone 
I'm going to go on a bit of a journey of self-discovery and I would love to tell you that I'm doing it because I want someone to know and to hold me accountable. And maybe when I tell you things, all I would love for you to do is just to sit and listen. Because we find it really hard to sit and listen as humans. We want to fix things. We want to find solutions. I even find myself doing it. And it's something that for me as a space holder and a facilitator, I've really had to hone in on how to be there with somebody in silence and in space and in just love that isn't in words. And sometimes words are needed, but they're not always. So yeah, I think journaling and mindfulness are a really good place to start and having someone in your life maybe that you can just kind of say, hey, I'm going to go on this journey. Books are a great resource, but I would say with books is that they can kind of become a little bit addictive in that we're kind of on this search for answers when actually we have all the answers. It's just a case of getting to them. We'll be back after this. Welcome back to Give Me Strength. Yeah, and two things that really came up for me there. The first is actually a personal kind of anecdote and and that's that I do both of these practices. Um, but what I would really encourage people to do is if you're someone who's like me and you maybe come from a performance background or you come from you you come with a performative personality, the hardest thing is to not perform when it comes to doing those two activities. So for example, with journaling, I remember when I first started, I'd sort of lay my page out and I'd start writing, but I would write almost as if someone was looking over my shoulder. What, what would someone else expect me to write? What would someone, if someone picked this up, what would I want them to see rather than what am I genuinely feeling? And the same can be said for mindfulness is that I would sit there um, and I would sort of be like, you know, almost like trying to be like, what would a person that's trying to do what I'm trying to do do? Do you know what I mean? Like if there was a camera on me and someone was watching, what would I look like? And I think it t- it's taken me a hell of a lot of time to lose that aspect of even in therapy, for example, like performing, giving people what I think they want to hear or what they want me to be rather than genuinely listening to like my true voice or whatever it is. Um, and I think the second thing that then came up for me was around the listening. And I think that that's been a big thing for me. And, and I think actually this podcast has been really helpful for it is that I am someone who I want to talk and you say something and I'm like, oh, I want to say, I want to say my piece, ah, ah, you know, and um, it's it's actually been hard for me to to be someone who can sit back, who can breathe and go, I'm really listening to what you're saying. And I've noticed it with friends. I Friendship has been something that I've had to really work on over the last few years. I am not inherently a good friend. Um, and I, I think I can be, but I think that sometimes I don't have it within me to necessarily be that person that's always there and is like an amazing girlfriend or whatever. And I'm okay with that, but I think that I've had to learn to be better at that. And I think one of those things for me is being able to properly listen. And I actually think it's a real skill. I think we're so busy and quick and you, I'm sure you've had it where you have catch up with, with girlfriends and it's like, ah, 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 you know, oh, back and forth. It's like a, a, like a panic attack waiting to happen. It's, it's so, yeah. I mean, like my girlfriends and I, we laugh, but it's it's just like two hours of everyone talking over one another across a table. And I'm definitely like a one-to-one kind of person. And that's something that I know that I am. Yeah. And, I, and I'm okay with that. I, you know, I'm not, I used to be the kind of wild child going out, but then even then I would just be on the dance floor. So I wasn't really talking to anyone. 
Um, but I just, yeah, I would much rather be in just a one-way conversation with someone where I can just be present with them and really listen. And I am, and I'm the same as you. Look, we're I think as women, we're the nurturers, right? We're the carers, we're the mothers. We are the ones that feel like it's funny because the the masculine has this air of protection. And there is this level of kind of almost physical protection, but the but the feminine has an energetic protection and it wants to nurture and it wants to hold and it wants to help you find your way and your path through this kind of like soft gracefulness. And so, yeah, like, of course, we want to help the people that we love, but we forget that we can help people just by being silent. And it is so powerful. And I see this, I witness this so much in sharing circles so on my retreats and in my workshops, you know, we'll sit in, it might be a group of 20, it might even be a group of 60 in some of the, in some of the workshops. And to listen to everybody and not say a single thing back to them, not only is that empowering for them because they get to have their voice and they get to really be heard, it's empowering for you, the listener, to just be there and be so present because when someone's talking to us, even now, right, we're having an exchange. So while I'm talking, you'll be thinking, oh, that that point I want to comment on. And like that point I want to think about, like that's natural. That's a conversation. But the power of a sharing circle is that you don't have to think like that. All you have to do is listen and then you share your little bit when you're ready. And it is amazing. It's such a great feeling. I think that that, oh my God, I'd love to come and do that because I think that that is such an amazing thing and then something that everyone should be, you know, exposed to. I don't know, you know, there's so many conversations that you, even like stuff where I've spoken about stuff that's like quite upsetting or like hurtful or whatever it is. And you sort of, you blurt it out and then you're like, oh my God, please say something. <laughs> yeah, so actually exactly. just to have that silence and be like, oh, I just said my thing and then nothing has been said back. It's like, oh my God, it must be so hard. Exactly. But also because you know that that's the, because you have the expectation, you know that that's, that's okay. You're like, okay, I'm coming into this and I know no one's going to reply to me and I know no one's going to fix me. That's okay. Okay. You need to come on one of my retreats, like a big retreat. I will book. I swear you've got my word. <laughs> one of the things that I do also obviously want to discuss, and a lot of what you share on your social media is, is the yoga but the yoga isn't necessarily like your traditional... I actually don't want to say that because obviously there are so many varying forms of yoga and yoga now looks so different across the board in terms of how people access it. Um, but I wanted to ask you about the role that yoga has now within this kind of bigger circle of breathwork, mindfulness, meditation, um, with the free movement stuff. Because I think yoga, as you said, can be a really intimidating thing for some people. It's it's full of people with their leg above their head doing the most crazy inversions that I've ever seen. And that that is you sometimes, and that's wonderful. But to genuinely connect with yoga, and I've really found this, and particularly coming, again, that performative aspect of me, coming from a dance background, I'll go to a yoga class and all I'm thinking is, oh my God, I hope my leg's higher than everyone else. I hope my leg is as high as it used to be able to go. Oh, I hope I'm low enough, low enough in this position. Or Whatever it is, that constant narrative is, oh, my body, my body, my body, rather than the actual feeling of checking in with myself and, and the practice. So how do you help people to discover that? And, and, and how has your approach to yoga, I guess, really grown and evolved? Mm, so I was exactly you. I, I was fully that. I came to yoga through, I'd been uh, injured um, had my knee reconstructed and I was like, okay, I still want to do something with my body, but I can't do anything high impact. 
people had told me about yoga and I went there and I was like, oh, I'm actually really good. And it was like, it. I had this whole ego thing of I'm good at this, therefore I should do this without any awareness for actually what yoga is. I was turning up, I was turning up to asana, right? I was turning up to doing the physical practice on my little rectangular mat and I was doing it and sure, I was performing all of the all of the things, you know, as I should. Interestingly, when uh, Krishnamacharya, who was kind of the the founding father of, of like Hatha, um, he actually kind of came to this asana, this eight limbs of yoga. But the asana side of it was a performance. So he taught it to young people to perform. Um, it was like this almost. I don't want to say circus, but it was this, it was this kind of, yeah, this show that would be put on. Um, I think for me, when I started to understand and do a little bit more research, um, I did my first teacher training and I realized that what I was doing was like 2% of yoga. I was doing this tiny, tiny part of yoga. And so what I'm trying to create with Soul Sanctuary is that I I, I lure them in. <laughs> it makes me sound so creepy. <laughs> I lure them in with these kind of creative, fun practices, which absolutely 100% have a place there. I don't like the messaging around kind of the asana being bad because then it means you're not practicing the real yoga. Asana is still very much one of the eight limbs of yoga. It still has a really fundamental place. But in front of it, we have our yamas and our niyamas and there are our observances and our, our kind of, I don't want to say rules, but our kind of, I suppose, um, things that we need to be aware of in how we live our life. And they come before the movement. They are the things that we're thinking, okay, so we don't want to, non-stealing, non-greed, non-violence, our truthfulness, our, clen- our personal cleanliness, our self-study, all of those things come before the movement, but the movement is still really key. And so people come in and what I try to teach is, I suppose, a yoga that allows you to take it from the mat into your day. So there might it might just be as small as like a mantra. It might be a poem that I've written. It might be a poem that I found. It might just be some words of wisdom where I'm asking the practitioner to actually leave their mat, but not leave the practice. Because really, that's where the yoga begins. When I read so many, you know, self-help books now, and then I went back and I read the sutras, so um, uh, Patanjali sutras, when I read those, I'm like, ah, that's basically every self-help book ever written, just in a really quite hard to understand way. (laughs) You know, so it's always been there. It's always been a huge part of what it is that we're doing. And it's not, I think that there is obviously, like I said, this kind of whole message around you're not doing yoga if you've put your leg above your head because therefore you are performing or showing off. That can, that's still your yoga. You have every part of yoga is showing up for yourself and being in your pure total embodiment. And if for you that is to dance like an absolute goddess, if that's to throw your leg around your head, then that is you in your yoga. If you want to do your yoga in your bikini or you want to do it naked, that's your yoga as long as you're practicing 
the other sides of it as well. That was an amazing explanation. And I think it actually really describes... Sorry, that was like a really long one. (laughs) No, 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 not at all. Because I think it's sometimes really good to hear from that. You know, as you said earlier, a lot of people will check into a class maybe and they turn up and it's, it's, you know, whatever, and it's 45 minutes um, or they're doing it from home and it's a YouTube one and it's kind of the the transition of in and out and the connection to it is maybe difficult because you're sort of maybe coming from work and you're carrying all that stress. And I think that... um, losing the judgment around however your practice might look is is obviously really important but also then taking from it whatever you need on that day because I know that there's been times when yoga has been really energizing for me or there's times when yoga has been really calming there's times when I finished a practice and been like oh my god I just want to sob um and actually weirdly Lewis and I did a yoga practice at um the other day with an amazing teacher called Vicky and he cried at the end like fully sobbing and I was like oh my god are you okay and he's like yeah just a lot came up for me so I think the beauty of those tears is that like you said like Lewis said like so much came up for him in in that but it's actually like sometimes it just comes up and there's not even like a thing that it needs to be connected to it's like if you ever had those and they're not even evening sometimes it's the morning where you cannot stop yawning you're just yawning 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 yeah an energy release you're not ne- you're not necessarily tired. It is it is something that's there that's building up and it needs to come out. And that's the same thing that happens in yoga with the tears. They just roll on out and it is I just it's beautiful. I think it's such a special thing to be able to have connected and to have gone to that level because there was clearly something that was like unlocked in that in that class for him. Amazing. I want to um I want to finish up today by just talking about your kind of practices moving forward. So obviously, as much as I want this to be about sharing things with other people, and there's been so much that even I've taken from today that I'm like, oh my God, I'm definitely going to invest more time in doing that. I'd also love to hear about you and your journey. You know, I've known you for so long and I'd love to hear what you now see as your like wellness wellness practices. You know, it's always nice to hear what other people do. So like for a general week, what do your wellness non-negotiables look like? What does a typical week look like for you? So firstly, I don't have any such thing as a typical week. Um, and And I'm okay with that. That's something that I, because I'm a Virgo, I think that I need to have all of these like crazy plans and organizational skills, but I'm just not that version of a Virgo I'm just not and so I've kind of let go of like the level of routine but if I have I mean I do have a few um for me I'm a morning person so I love early mornings um not too early but you know I get up at six o'clock every day and I very about probably about two years ago started having my first kind of like 45 minutes of the day to an hour as just pure me time. And that was going to make a cup of tea, getting back into bed. Yes, even on like a working day, getting back into bed and either reading a book or now I have to say, I, which is something that I need to figure out, but I'm now doing Wordle. Do you do Wordle? Love Wordle. Oh my gosh. Wordle I'm addicted. and Quirdle. I'm like, I don't know yeah, what Quirdle is, <laughs> but it's something for me, like me, my mom and my sister do it. And it's a really lovely thing that we kind of do. And then we, we do it together. But the reason I said that it's something I need to figure out is because we have a, we have kind of like a no phone in the bedroom rule. Um, so phones are charged outside of the bedroom. Um, but obviously now that I'm doing Wordle, I've kind of been like creeping it in after I've had my tea. So there's kind of things I'm working with at the moment. But so that first hour of my day is a slow hour. There is nothing that is rushed. There is nothing that needs to be so urgent 
that it has to be done in that first hour. And then I don't actually share a huge amount of this. And the people always ask me, they're like, oh, do you train in the gym as well? I actually train quite a lot. Um, I love going to the gym. It's kind of a, because my, so this, the space that I'm in right now, it's my office, it's my studio, it's kind of my everything. So going to the gym for me is somewhere where work is not present. I don't film things from the gym. I mean, I used to back in the day, but going to the gym for me is like just pure time for me to be with the music I like, moving my body and just feeling into whatever it needs to be. Um, I have a dog. So walking Norman is one of my, obviously he, he needs his exercise. So he's like, well, damn right. It's a non-negotiable. <laughs> but, but even for me, um, going to like we moved to the coast which was the best decision we ever made so I go to the beach like before this I went to the beach walked him along the beach paddle my feet in the sea so my yoga practice is is something that has is still very very present but I would say that I'm so much more open to what that practice looks like now it doesn't always mean bending my body on my mat it might be that my yoga practice is me I don't know doing a little bit of breath work it might be me sitting with my with someone some of my instruments for my sound healing and kind of checking in with the vibrations um and obviously some people would say well then that's not yoga but if we're looking at the broader spectrum as to what yoga is then all of these wellness modalities is yoga um we ice bath we bought ice bath last year um and so yeah cold shower ice bath every day um, that's definitely a non-negotiable. The cold shower and or ice bath first thing in the morning is the best way to start my day. I love it. Um, and then, yeah, some kind of movement, basically. I don't have a day where there isn't movement of some kind, but I'm not as strict. And I know that you've as well kind of been on a bit of a journey as to like, what does like my fitness journey need to look like? What does my wellness journey need to look like? And I've become so much more fluid in what that is rather than saying I go to the gym on xyz days and I do yoga on xyz days it's now I get up and I'm like what do I feel for today where's my where where am I where's my energy where are my emotions at today what's best going to serve me you know we can surf now like while uh, while I'm sitting here talking to you my husband is surfing just five minutes away from our house and I'm probably going to go there after I've spoken to you and have a little surf, which will be amazing. So it's wellness non-negotiables to me are actually the moment every day where I check in and I say, what does today need to look like? Yeah, Don't need I to love worry that. about tomorrow. Don't need to worry about what I did yesterday. It's like, that's kind of almost like the real non-negotiable point um, for sure. And I'm just in terms of kind of my own kind of like teaching and stuff like bringing in the sound healing bringing in the a bit more of like the breath stuff with the movement the free movement it just all comes together in the most beautiful kind of symphony of of wonderfulness <laughs> love it and look my final question is um around something that you just brought up which was the big move to the coast and i guess i guess taking the decision to slow down life in terms of its pace and its intensity by moving away from the big city. And I think this is a big metaphor for what a lot of people are torn by at the moment. Obviously, you know, there are circumstances that mean that Paddy and I, for example, have to live here because his job is in the city or 
you know, whatever. There are circumstances that mean people are bound to where they are. But I see this big shift in people that are wanting to move away from this kind of relentless pace of life and feeling as though they're they're in, in a constant rat race, basically. And you obviously took the decision to do that. And I'd love to hear, just as a finishing point, um, if anyone's thinking about making that journey and stepping away from this need to constantly be doing and being and achieving um not that you're not doing any of those things you're doing all of them in abundance well, but, but actually on your own terms yeah and and that and that actually you hit the nail right on the head is that that's what a lot of people have the limiting belief that by moving out of the city you are therefore moving out of success you're moving out of you know all these other things being busy um being busy can be great but being slow is even better and I'm I mean my life definitely isn't slow (laughs) that's for sure but moving away from the city life means that you know like I do have the beach nearby I also have the forest nearby so I can even on the most hectic days when I'm traveling in between retreats I get those pockets of time where I can really ground into nature and nature like I mean there's ample studies that show what nature does for us, for our mental health, for our energetic well-being, for our emotional being, well-being. It's not made up. The, the studies are there, right? And so even if you can just, you know, bury your feet into a little bit of grass every day, or yeah, you know, I'm lucky enough to have the beach and I can walk in the water and all of that, it just changes everything because it means even in the crazy, busy, hectic day, you can just have those moments to kind of pause and go slow. And I would say that my business 100% has expanded and evolved into a new level of success because I decided that I wanted to have a certain lifestyle and I made my business fit with me. And therefore, I can be more authentic. I can be more true to my energy and to myself when running my business. And therefore, I'm not trying to do it for anyone else. I'm doing it for me in the way that works for me. And that ultimately, yes, not straight away, but over time, you're going to grow a much more successful business because you're being who you want to be. And you're actually enjoying, you know, I don't, I, maybe my lifestyle isn't right for some people because I don't have like a Monday to Friday. I like you. We work kind of all the time. However, it's not all the time. Because if I want to go out at 10 a.m. and go for a wander, you know, or go for a swim or, I don't know, go for sunbathes now that the weather's glorious, I can do that because I have made that freedom. I've created that space for myself. I mean, I would recommend it to anyone. Community, you will make a community. You will find friends. We actually moved in the pandemic and it was it was quite hard for a while. We didn't have any friends here and no one was going out. Nothing was open. We couldn't meet anyone. Now we have amazing people in our lives who are just down the road. But, you know, it's taken us nearly three years. But I wouldn't change it for the world. Oh, I love that. I'm so jealous. Hopefully one day I'll be yeah. there. <laughs> I'd come and visit. I know. Please do. Kat, thank you so, so oh, much. It has been you. such a pleasure. First of all, to be reunited, even if it is by the mode or zoom um but also just to have you on the podcast because i know that everything you've shared today is so valuable and will really help people so thank you so much we'll put all the links to soul sanctuary and all of your other bits in the show notes if anyone wants to check those bits out please feel free to go and have a look and yeah thank you so so much thank you so much my darling it has been an absolute pleasure 
you so much for listening. I really hope you enjoyed that episode. I would love it if you could take some time to rate, review and follow the podcast as it really helps others to find it. We have a new episode dropping each week so this will also ensure you don't miss out. See you next time. Insanity Group.